Welcome to the British American Football Coaches Association podcast, a resource designed to support both British football coaches and coaches from around the world. This podcast features special guests discussing techniques, scheme, philosophies and culture for the sport of American football to help develop and grow the game worldwide. Now here's your host, Adam Lillis. Welcome to the Bafka Coaching Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by coach Ken Zampezi, who will shortly be talking about uh, developing quarterbacks. Coach Zampezi is the current quarterbacks coach for the Washington Redskins with over 20 years experience of coaching in the National Football League. Uh, before we get into the interview, we encourage all coaches to attend the BAFCA convention, which is from Friday the 3rd of July until Sunday the 5th of July at Loughborough University. It promises to be another great event of speakers and networking opportunities. Talk to your club's committees to see if they're able to assist with funding you and your staff's attendance at the convention, as it will improve all clubs across the country, and it's just a fun weekend in general. Okay, so let's get straight into it. Let's hear from Coach Ken Zampezi on developing quarterbacks in the NFL and other levels. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast with me, Adam Lillis. I'm delighted to be joined today by the quarterback's coach of the Washington Redskins, Coach Ken Zampezi. Coach, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing? Thank, thank you. I'm doing great. I like my new place a lot. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so let's dive right into that. So, in the last couple of months, you were appointed to be part of Coach Ron Rivera's staff at the Redskins. <laughs> How have the first few months been for you and have you had time to meet with Dwayne Haskins and the other quarterbacks? Boy, that's a lot, but it's been fantastic. Anytime you start up fresh with a, a new staff on the first year of a contract, it's always exciting. You know, the hopes are high. And uh, the thing that encourages me so much is, is being with Coach Rivera and working for him. You just uh, see why he's been so successful every day. He's organized. He's uh, I mean, he's in it for us. He can handle the building by himself. I mean, incredible. Every time he speaks, you're, you're right with him. And uh, he's a great leader. So that way it makes it really easy to walk in every day and uh, just know things are handled. You know, there's no anxiety about any outside noise or anything because it's about us in the building. And it's very easy to follow Coach Rivera. Very decisive guy. Fantastic. So... I always give the, every guest the opportunity to talk a bit about that background, just in case people don't know where you've come from and what your career's been like. So why don't you give us a rundown of how you got started in football, where your career started, and then your journey all the way up to the Washington Redskins. <laughs> well, it was kind of by default. I was sitting there last year at college. I'm playing. I finished up playing at University of San Diego, and I thought, what the heck am I going to do now? This about to get it's about to get real here. And I thought, okay, I've I've studied four years in business administration. I'll, you know, I'll go out and get a job in business and I'll be on my way. And so I start thinking about those prospects and I think that is about the last thing I want to do. (laughs) I don't want any part of that. So okay, so what are my alternatives? Well, if you go to graduate school, then nobody's on your rear end about your future because you're handling it. You're doing higher education and all those things. So nobody's, nobody's on you. So, okay, I'll go to graduate school and I'll work in the football office of the team I just played for 
and uh, be a, like a student coach, a graduate assistant coach. That'll buy me a year and get people off of me. You know, give me, give me a year just to relax and figure out what, what I really want to do. So in that year, I've always enjoyed, of course, football because I played and I always thought I was a cerebral player that had instincts and feel for the game. And I found that I really enjoyed the coaching end of it. And uh, full disclosure, my father was a coach for years and years and years. So it's, it's not foreign to me, that, uh, that atmosphere. And so I wanted to stay in it. So I did that and I found out I, I liked it. I was uh, good enough to have people hire me and uh, started small, met my, uh, met my wife in graduate school, found out I really liked football in graduate school, and uh, moved on from, from University of San Diego to Southern California with uh, Larry Smith, who was the head coach. And so I had two years there, finished a graduate degree, and then got married. And then we moved on to uh, Northern Arizona and Flagstaff, Arizona, which is a 1AA football team, and had a chance to then get on the road and recruit coach my own position, the receivers, and just loved it there. Really had a, had a good time. And then I knew I wanted to kind of move on in the coaching world and have a chance to move up. So I coached quarterbacks at Miami of Ohio. I got a job there. After Sean Payton moved on, <clears throat> uh, he helped me uh, get his old job there at Miami of Ohio and was there for two years. Worked for Randy Walker. And then I jumped from there to uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, which is, it's really, that's a huge jump for, wow. for those of you that may not know the, the levels of, of American football. That would be like going from a, uh, a community or uh, leader guy for your little uh, four block community to uh, the, the president <laughs> in, in his sphere. It was a huge jump. I was lucky as could be. And I was with my dad at Indianapolis for the combine, Adam. And I drove over from Oxford, Ohio, which is about two hours. So my routine there, I'd go, we'd go have dinner. Uh, and then the next day, I'd watch the quarterbacks with him. So it was just a great sharing moment, you know, weekend for me and my dad. And so we have the dinner the night before the workout. And it's about 1030 at night. We're walking down the streets of uh, Indianapolis, and we run into Joe Vitt who's the current linebacker coach for the Jets, Emmett Thomas, who uh, I believe is still the current uh, secondary coach for the Chiefs and Hall of Famer, and uh, Chuck Knox Jr., son of uh, Chuck Knox. So dad and, and uh, Joe Vitt had known each other from working for the Rams, L.A. Rams, and dad and Emmett had known each other because Jim Hannafin was a San Diego State coach when my dad coached there who was the head coach of the St. Louis Cardinals when Emmett worked for him. So there's a lot of crossovers here. And Joe said, hey, uh, Ken, what are you doing? I said, I'm here at my Ohio, blah, blah, blah. Coaching quarterbacks, he says, hey, you interested in a quality control job with the Philadelphia Eagles? Our guy, David Shaw, now head coach of Stanford, just left to go to Oakland with John Gruden. We have an opening. I said, absolutely, I'm interested. So he got a, he got a flight set up. I was out there a week later. Got the job as a quality control coach, and I was on my way. And that was the – Ray Rhodes was a head coach. Emmett and Joe were on the staff, and they got me in. Quarterback coach is Sean Payton, the guy that helped me get in at Miami, Ohio. A lot of crossovers. And then from there, uh, 
we had both our kids at Miami of Ohio those two years back to back. So they're just, they're 51 weeks apart. And so we're at Philadelphia and I'm grinding and we got the six month and a year and a half and all hell's breaking loose every day at work because we're three and 13 at home because we got these two little guys running around. It was great times and we get fired. It was a fourth year of Ray Rhodes was when I came in. We went three and 13, fired us. And then uh, five of us went to Green Bay after uh, it was Mike Holmgren had, had left. And we were next. We go eight and eight, and we get fired. So I'm sitting here two Christmases in a row with these two little guys, you know, six months and a year and a half, then a year and a half and two and a half. Wondering what the hell did I get myself into? Meanwhile, my previous staff that I was on at Miami of Ohio was moving on to Northwestern. I'm like, man, that sounds pretty good right about now. Why did I do this? And then uh, things turned. I got an opportunity to go. Uh, Worked for the Dallas Cowboys, and I turned that down to go to the St. Louis Rams. Turned down Dallas and more money to go to the St. Louis Rams, and Mike Martz, they just won the Super Bowl. It's the greatest show on turf, and I thought that was better. So I was there for three years. And then uh, from there, we went uh, to Cincinnati with Marvin Lewis for 15 years, so I was able to get my kids from Grade school, started grade school all the way through high school in the same house, which is just, I mean, it's a great source of pride for me and my wife to not have a change, just complete stability for their formative years, which I'm uh, very, very proud of because it's almost impossible to do in the professions, a bit like the military where they tell you where to go. Just in coaching, they tell you, we don't want you and you got to find a new place to go. That's about the only difference, <laughs> but you're moving around all the time. And then, uh, you know, that ran its course after 15 years, went to Cleveland for a year, a chance to coach Baker Mayfield, live in Cleveland, and we loved it there. And then uh, that went south after the year. And then I, I, I went to the AAF for, a, for five weeks, that spring league before that folded up and that was just to help a friend. And then I went to university of Florida this past season to work with coach Mullen. And that's where I met you, Adam, and uh, had a great year, just had a great year was with defense and had, had, a, had a, the time of my life. And then all the while during the season, I'm keeping tabs on who's going to interview where or get interviews. And, you know, you try to get aligned with certain people and find out if you have similarities and, see if the guy has an interest in you. And fortunately for me, Coach Rivera had an interest in me after hearing from other people that I've worked with. And we made this happen. And I am so happy I could hardly stand myself. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, one of the questions I've got is, you spent 20 years or so coaching in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And then I met you at the University of Florida, which was your first college coaching gig for, you know, for almost two decades. What yeah. was that like jumping from the pro leagues to the, to the college leagues? And what were the differences between the two? Well, in, in college, the kids are so young and they're just so impressionable. And the emotional ups and downs are just crazy. And there's so many of them. The amount of players on a college team is huge compared to the amount of players on a pro team. There's backups after backups after backups in college. And in the pros, there's like one backup to each guy. There's not a lot of choices. So in college, you can, you can do a few more things 
personnel-wise than you can in the NFL. And just the uh, – you don't have as much time with them in college. So you really have to keep it tight on what you're going to give them and make them responsible for and how much you can change from week to week. Sure thing. And uh, just rewinding it back a little bit, some of the UK coaches over here might remember you or recognise you from when you were at Cleveland with Baker Mayfield because you were on hard knocks a fair amount. What was that experience like? And that was, unfortunately for me, it was my third time, I think, on Hard Knocks because they came to Cincinnati twice. It's not something that you would wish on anybody. There's cameras everywhere. <laughs> the, peop the people were fantastic, but it's just so invasive into meetings that are really, I mean, they're not for anybody but you and the other coaches, and that's it. And all of a sudden, there's a camera in the corner of the room and we're talking about the players. And you don't know what's going to get used or not, so guys don't speak their minds very often. Uh, there's always meetings after the meetings in rooms that don't have cameras in them. Sure. But it's funny, uh, the family loves all that stuff, and your friends love all that stuff. But while you're in it, you're like, am I about to say something I shouldn't say? You know, or, or then you get comfortable and you forget that there's a – a camera in the corner and something comes out and you're like, Oh my gosh, I hope they don't use that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so without going ad nauseum on it, but you've had a long career in the NFL. Do you want to let's name drop some quarterbacks that you've had the pleasure to coach and what are some of the, some of the similarities between the most more successful ones that you think a good uh, quarterback, uh, um, the first guy I got to coach was John Kitna in uh, 03 in Cincinnati. He was the comeback player of the year that year. We drafted Carson Palmer that year. So the, the second year I was in Cincinnati, Carson Palmer started. And then um, he didn't want to stay in Cincinnati, so he left. And we drafted Andy Dalton. So we had him there. And then I had uh, Baker Mayfield. So those were the kind of the four starters that I had when I was the quarterback coach. I've been on staffs where we had Brett Favre and Kurt Warner and Trent Green and some really, really established guys. But those were the guys that I coached. Uh, what they all had was a, a high accountability. They understood the responsibility of the position and how everybody depended on that position. So they all knew – the responsibility of all the players on the field. And so that was a, a common theme. Some guys, you know, each personality is different, but they're highly competitive, like over-the-top competitive, which is great because that's exactly how you have to be because the other guys are that way. And it's just a – I mean, you're just trying to bludgeon the other guys all the time and just, just rip their throats out with the expertise with which you play your position and just – be the kind of guy that everybody can rely on. Those are the kind of things that they, they all had in common. Uh, some guys are, you know, really physically tough. Some guys are highly accountable. Uh, there's just different ranges of personality styles that come out with each guy. Like John Kitna was the toughest, just physically, mentally tough. And there was nothing he wouldn't fight. <laughs> Carson Palmer was so talented. He could throw it on a line. He could throw it with touch. And, and 
it was a game to him what trajectory to use because he could do anything at any point in time without even thinking about it. He was just so, so talented. And you never had to tell him what the responsibility, what the leadership responsibility of a quarterback was. He had that down pat. He loved that part, loved people depending on him, relying on him, and the pressure that came with that and being the guy that, that people could depend on. He loved that. Interesting thing about Andy Dalton, when we drafted him, it was the uh, CBA, the collective bargaining agreement year, where there was the lockout, where we didn't have players in the spring. We didn't see them in the spring at all. So all those practices, all those meetings, we didn't have. And we drafted Andy, and he was going to be our starter. Yet we couldn't meet with him until training camp in July. So, I mean, that was a whirlwind. So we had training camp to get a rookie ready to be the starter for us that season. And he was such an accountable guy and such a, a good player right away. We went to the playoffs with him right out the gate, and we went five years in a row with him. That was just big feather in his cap to be successful and consistent over the early years where you're supposed to be learning. He was playing at a high level. And then Baker Mayfield, what a breath of fresh air. He's electric, personality, he's hungry. He worked at it hard. And I told him, being the first pick in the draft, you know, there's so many expectations that come with it that uh, what, what really happens is when the first pick in the draft or someone that you perceive to be the next starter in your building, once you draft that guy, the whole building is on a time clock until that guy either makes it or doesn't make it. If he makes it, everybody gets to stay. If he doesn't make it as far as being a, a, a real NFL starter, everybody's fired. The whole staff's fired. Nobody survives when you pick a high pick at quarterback. You could pick any other position and it not work out, and everybody can stay, no problem. But if you do it at quarterback, everybody in the building's tied to the quarterback. Everybody's job's tied to that guy. It's just how it goes because you spend so much time developing that one player. And usually if he doesn't develop, you don't win enough to after two or three years. You just have one enough and it's time they find somebody else. So that was, was what was so important about uh, me and Baker. And the other thing for Baker, I said, at some point, you're going to start here. It, the plan is for you to be the starter in your second year. And that's why Tyrod Taylor was with us. He was going to be our starter the first, our first season. Um, but what happened was uh, Tyrod got uh, hurt in the middle of the third game. So Baker had to play sooner than we thought. We key came in. We won that game because of how he and I went about our business. The moment he got drafted, we, we worked as if we were going to have to start the very next day. So every day was – Amazon Jeff Bezos day one mentality where the lights are on and we're rolling and it's really important and there is no days off and there is no lack of importance because you're not supposed to be the starter yet. It's like, Hey, you're going to be a starter and there's a game tomorrow. So what are we going to do today to make sure we're ready? It was just a, it was a lights on just a real fun relationship, fun. He was really hungry, had a great sense of urgency which matched mine, and it was, I mean, we were, we were perfect for each other. And I, th I think that came across when we watched, um, watched Hard Knocks and subsequently within the season we can see that there was 
Baker obviously had something going for him and we see the relationship between you and him being a, a strongly positive one. And But just using those quarterbacks that you've listed, perhaps as examples, as the ones that you work with. So obviously this podcast is aimed at British coaches and European coaches. We don't have as much time with our guys and quarterbacks, such a tough position to play, as you know. Yeah. And we're getting... Potentially, sometimes we're just getting guys off the street that have never played before, never maybe even held a football before, might just have a natural ability to throw the ball. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting that some of the attributes that you were just listening about, those quarterbacks, they were all almost non-football related in the sense of how to play quarterback. It was just sort of the intangibles of being tough and um, being competitive, which in theory, any quarterback in the world should be able to have. So do you think there are, if we looked at more of the football side of things, mm-hmm. what do you think, if you just got a guy off the street, I just sent him to you and said, look, this guy's kind of for a football. What are the sort of attributes you would, at a bare minimum, expect from him to be able to work with him and develop him into a quarterback? I think you hit on it. The intangibles are way more important than the tangibles. It's like, if he can throw it well enough, and everybody has a different what well enough means uh, to, to compete in the league that you're playing in, I guess, whatever that level is. If it's good enough to compete in the league that you're playing in, once you find all the guys that can do that, then you take that group and you find out really who, who, who is the grittiest, toughest uh, guy that just will not be stopped, the guy with the best mentality, the guy that loves it the most, mentally toughest guy, guy with retention, a guy that, that may have some charisma to him, that has some leadership skills to him. It's all the intangible things, something that there is no number score on. It has nothing to do with height, weight, speed. And really the position has absolutely nothing to do with height, weight, speed. It's can you throw the ball well enough for the league that you're in? And from there, it's all these intangible things concerning you know, urgency and leadership and toughness. And that's because if they have those intangible things, then they will work every day. They will do the things they need to do to, to improve their physical side uh, every day and get better and better. The guys that you wonder how hard they work at it when they're not with you or the guys you wonder if they care about it when they're not with you, those are the guys that always get you in the end. They don't progress. They never reach their talent level. And I say, to, I say to guys, like if you and I were talking and there's players on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the highest, if you've got a bunch of nines that play like sevens, you're always disappointed. And that's usually because of some kind of lack of urgency, lack of focus, effort, or they're just a distracted type guy. It's not that big a deal to them. Mm-hmm. And you're always disappointed with nines that play like sevens. But if you had sevens that played like sevens, you'd be happy every single day because they were – They'd be locked and loaded, energetic, urgency. They're getting the most out of themselves. Uh, and you're still getting a seven, but you're getting a different kind of seven. Does that make, make sense? Yep, absolutely. And I think that's something that will resonate with, especially British coaches, where we've got, we're going to have a range of experience levels and um, talent levels. So I think some, a lot of what you said will absolutely resonate. The, the trick of picking players is, hey, this guy's a nine. Right now he plays like a seven. Do I think I can get him to an eight or a nine? Mm-hmm. 
and do I want to roll the dice on the amount of time and effort it takes? So you really got to be a great uh, people picker, so to speak, and put a personality profile together as you meet guys and, you know, not interrogate, but investigate what makes them tick, why they like the game, what have they done in the past that's similar to football, what was their level of effort and commitment, well, do you think you can get them to do the same thing towards football? And if the answer is yes, then, then by all means, let's try to make up those two points and get that seven to a nine and bring them on. Because if you can, you get a better player in the end. But if the guy is, I like to say, too far gone, is he too unfocused, too noncommittal, too wishy-washy in the way he approaches the game of football and getting better, then he's not worth the effort. And actually, they're a drag on the group because they're not into it and they're not committed to the group like some of the other guys. And they actually drag you down. So you got to be real careful of the style of person that you put in your building that you want to get from a seven to a nine. Absolutely. Um, so let's, let's dive into some more of the, the quarterback technical things that perhaps a lot of our listeners are... Uh, keen to hear from a, an NFL quarterbacks coach. So let's say, regardless of what level you're working at, whether it's in the pros or whether it's over here in Britain or wherever, if I gave you a quarterback that had some level of experience, some level of understanding of the game, so you didn't need to teach him the rules or how to hold mm -hmm. the ball or anything like that, what are the fundamental things that you would want to work with on day one? Um, to ensure that over time he becomes a very proficient quarterback? There's a, there's a couple of deals um, that are universal. It has nothing to do with a guy's stroke or anything. I think, first of all, throwing the football is a lower body function. What we do with our upper bodies is a result of what we do with our lower bodies. So I don't mess with a guy's arm very much, but we work all of our time, almost all of it on the lower body. So, if we were the body position that you want, if you're sitting in the pocket about ready to throw the ball, you hit your back foot, you're making a decision on whether you're going to throw or whether you're going to slide or run or escape. If, if you and I were standing next to each other and we were going to throw a right hook at each other at the same time, what body position would we be in? The most reactionary position our bodies can be in. And we'd look like Rocky Balboa, squat it down, and then just put a football in our hand. And that's exactly the position you want to be in when you're back in the pocket. You want to be like a boxer, the bend in the ankles, knees, and hips, and a little forward, just a little forward body tilt because we want to be on the, uh, the, the balls of our feet, not our toes, but our heels aren't touching the ground either. We want to be on the, uh, the balls of our feet, the most reactionary position that we can be in. Because we're either going to rip this throw or we're going to escape. Oh, something's fixing to happen and we got to do it at warp speed. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is we need to be lined up to where we're throwing. So in order to get lined up to where we're throwing, our left hip, if we're a right-handed quarterback, needs to be pointed at the target or our left shoulder needs to be pointed at the target. And too many times, the hard part's throwing to our left and getting lined up to the left. What happens is we hit our back foot and we're, we're aiming straight ahead. And we take a hitch and we swing our left leg 
to the left to get our hips open to our target. And all our momentum is going sideways instead of straight downhill at the target. So I, I say on our last two steps of the drop, our eyes snap to the left. And here comes my second to last step crossover, my back foot plants. And I should be lined up directly at the target that I'm throwing at. Because if you and I were out on a football field, we we're going to throw a football at a target like a dummy, a stand-up dummy for $100, whoever hits it. I bet you you'd be straight as an arrow with your left hip and your left <laughs> shoulder directly at that thing because you want to win the money. But we get out there in the game and we hit our back foot and we're, we're straight ahead. And then we big, do this big swing to the left and wonder why we can't hit the target. Well, no wonder. We're not lined up. So I work a lot on the lower body being lined up to throw to the left. So the last two steps almost curve. It's like you, you drop three steps straight, and then the last two steps you're curving to the right where your right foot steps in the right A-gap. And then you hitch directly straight at your target. And it doesn't mean you're going to throw it straight all the time, but it's going to increase your odds of throwing it straight. And because your momentum is going at your target, you have more good misses as well. So those guys that play basketball, if we're sitting at the top of the key, would we shoot the ball and fade to our left sideways and shoot for as high a percentage as if we shot the ball and moved at the target with our right foot after we shot it? Well, naturally, you make more moving directly at your target because then you get the good bounces and things. And it's not very often you go out to the gym and you're playing basketball and you can shoot fadeaway jumpers and fall sideways and have enough feel in your fingertips to uh, make a lot of, lot of shots. So we're just trying to line, line the odds up in our favor. And all, all technique and all the technique work and footwork and, and the mental game that you do, we're just trying to increase our odds a little bit more. It doesn't mean you can't throw it straight by falling sideways or swinging your leg, but the odds are less. Sure. And I know we don't have uh, film or images that we can share through a podcast, but are, are, is there, are there some critical sort of everyday drills that you might work with the quarterbacks in, in order to improve that? Yeah, I'd be, if you're an under center team, I'd be under center and work on your uh, five, no hitch, like a uh, 10 yard speed out to the left where you've got to crank your head around after your third step, you snap your head to the left. And so your fourth and fifth snap steps actually curve and you're throwing off your back foot to that spot over there on the sideline on the left. And then take a, a route that would be a five and a hitch throw, like a, like maybe a, uh, I don't know, a, a 14 yard stop or something that comes straight down the stem where you have to curve at the top again, hitch at your target and finish the throw where your momentum's moving at your target. So you're no hitch, one hitch, throwing left. I do those things about every day just so that we can be lined up and we can finish with our momentum moving at our target. Sure, and I, I guess it goes without saying that that's, that's relevant all the way down to the, the younger ages, all the way up Absolutely. to the pro levels. Absolutely. And if you do it to the right, it seems so easy doing it to the right because we can see over there easily, you know, it's easy fix. If we don't get quite lined up, we can drop our arm and still get it out there probably. But to the right, it really, it just takes a little, 
um, work just to make sure your right, your left shoulder gets pointed to your target because it's easy to get lazy to the right and just kind of have your left shoulder pointed up the field when the target's over there to the right even further. Just snap your left shoulder so that your body's lined up and you can move at your target, straight at your target. Because if you leave your left shoulder straight down the field, thinking you can throw over to your right at a 45 degree angle to make up for the power, you, you don't have any power over there because you're not lined up over there. So you have to drop your arm and kind of hip torque it over there. And when you do that, your arm angle drops lower. And when the ball comes out lower, it dies. Doesn't have enough momentum to get to the target or it hits the guy on the kneecap or it skips off the ground. So it really is important to get your left shoulder and throw him to the right, cranked over there so that you can have a normal step, high release, momentum straight at the target throw. Sure. And just to completely change uh, tack on this conversation, one of the conversations we had when we were out in Florida together, and I've seen you uh, share some tweets on something similar, is you stressed one of the biggest important aspects of playing quarterback is in the 11 man game at least is understanding pass protections which mm. over in britain you know as i said earlier we've got limited time with guys we've got guys that maybe haven't played for a huge amount of time we're focusing on taking the snap handing the ball off throwing the ball learning concepts is there anything that you could advise on that would continue to stress the importance of an, a quarterback understanding its pre, uh, protection, where the offensive line and the tight ends are blocking and the running backs are blocking, where the pressure's coming from, all those things, but scaled down to uh, something that's more effective and s s simple for players at, and coaches at our level. Well, I think for the quarterback, he's got to know what side is the problem side. Uh, is it going to be to my left on this play where the protection is set and which is the vulnerable side and how many guys have to come for me to be hot or if they bring two over here, are they both blocked or is one blocked and the second one free? Just how much time do I have to do something with the football and with each protection that you have, he has to understand that thoroughly so that he doesn't, because if they just bring one guy and you have it blocked, but he acts like it's not blocked. That's a waste of time. Uh, and vice versa, if they bring uh, two and you think it's blocked and one guy's free and he doesn't know it, that's, that's a turnover. That's going to hurt. So he, he has to thoroughly know those things so he knows the parameters of the protection. What's his responsibility as far as, hey, we can block one from the right, but we can't block two. So if they bring two, you got to beat the second guy with the ball. Those kinds of things he has to know by protection so that he knows how much time he has to make a throw. Sure. And, and a lot of that will come through when we're, you're planning for an opponent. You'll scout and you'll see what the defensive tendencies are on the other side, which will naturally just help guide that under. I got um, you. Yep. Okay. Okay, uh, and just the last question, because I know you need to go. Uh, what's, what do you think, how important for a quarterback play do you think is the relationship with the quarterback's coach? And what do you sort of hang your hat on in terms of how you relate to your, to your quarterbacks over the years? 
I think it's important from the from the coach's standpoint. It's important. You have to know your guy well enough to know when you're explaining something or installing plays. When did we hit the overload point where he just can't take in any more information, where it doesn't make sense anymore, and then stop? So we got to get to know our guy that well and talk through football enough to know what are the parameters, how much can he handle, and then what's the sign, what's the look on his face when it becomes too much? Because these guys don't always tell you because they're prideful and they don't want to say, God, I, was, I, I couldn't get any more in my brain after you hit this point. I couldn't understand anymore. They won't tell you that. So you got to kind of be a mind reader and know your guy so well that you, that you know when that point gets hit, where it becomes counterproductive to talk more football with them. And then for the player, they got to know you well enough to know when you change your tone or when you're upset or about something that you did. or Because as coaches, it's a bit like uh, a parent relationship. You know, when your mom says something, you know when the tone changes and you better shape up. Well, the coach needs to have that, that style too where you don't have to actually say, hey, I, you should have done this on this play. You can just look at it in such a way where they know that that wasn't right. <laughs> and they got to do better than that. Uh, it shouldn't always have to be a full-on explanation, and nobody likes to be dressed down like that. So they need to know you in such a way you can just say or just a look or just a phrase that you've already talked about as it relates to that uh, particular technique or responsibility Hey, we need some, we need something better than that, or or that isn't what we talked about doing. Why did you do that, Coach? I know you need to go. You're a very busy person. I just want to say thank you for taking the time to talk to me and to the Bafka community about quarterback play. Hopefully, we can get you back on some point later in the year uh, to dive a bit deeper into about fundamentals or we'll work out some other way of getting some material to our membership sure um, thing before we leave you uh, i always give the opportunity to plug uh your social media handles in case coaches want to get hold of you um do you want to share your twitter handle yeah i think it's at ken zampese that's z-a-m-p-e-s-e is that right z-a-m-p-e-s-e yes excellent so thank you, Coach. I'll let you go on and uh, hopefully we'll see you in the UK sometime soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you to Coach uh, Zampezi for spending time with us to talk quarterbacks. Best of luck to Coach and the Washington Redskins going forward and hopefully we will be able to get more NFL coaches talking on the podcast in the future. As usual, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and send any suggestions for future guests to me at Coach Lillis. That's L-I-L-L-I-S. And we'll see you next week for another Bafka Coaching Podcast episode.